The text that we read during the songs this morning, during our time of singing and worship from Joshua 5, 13 to 15, is the text that we're studying today in this part of the book of Joshua. And uh, we, we read it earlier, but it tells of this encounter between Joshua and a mysterious figure that he meets while he's kind of scoping out what's going on in the land of Israel while he's preparing for Jericho. He meets this man who's apparently a soldier who's standing before him with a sword in his hand. And uh, the text that we read, and I'm going to read it again uh, just briefly here, but Joshua asks two questions in this text, and I'm going to point them out as we read. But the first question that he asks is essentially asking this, what if accomplishing all that God has called me to do rests on me? And the second question that he's asking is, what if it doesn't? Today, Joel and I, Joel Walker and I, we were the two pastors here at 12 South, are going to be tag-teaming this message. So I'm going to give you part A, and he's going to give you part, a, part B. And I'm going to focus on that first question, and Joel's going to pick up the second. But let me read the text one more time before we dig into it. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, here's question number one, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord and now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? That's question number two. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy ground. This is the story of a man who is in over his head. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this story. Lord, and more than that, I thank you that this is not just a story, but this is an event of a man who is not unlike us. Lord, we are constantly uh, carrying the burden that anything in life that matters, we, we just, we have to, we have to somehow achieve it ourselves. Lord, would you, would you free us from the, the burden and the weight of believing that somehow or another um, anything good depends on us? And would you help us to believe this morning, Lord, that everything good comes from your hand and that apart from you we can do nothing. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Where are you in over your head right now in life? As you think about that, when I was in seventh grade, I'm going to tell you a junior high version of, of me story. Um, seventh grade, and there was this girl uh, in seventh grade. This was like, you know, early in the experience of not being in one classroom all day, but having time in the hallways where you would pass people that you weren't in class with, but you'd just see them. And I, and I saw this, this girl, Mindy. Mindy. And it took some Detective work to figure out her name, first of all, because I would just see her in the hallway, but I wanted to know her. I wanted to meet her, and in fact, I wanted to win her heart with every little bit of ability that this seventh grade dorky kid had. I, I wanted Mindy to know not only that I existed, but that, but that I could be a wonderful part of her life, you know? So here's what I did. I, I figured out where I was passing her in the hallway, where she was coming from and where she was going to. You know, it's the old trick, you've all done it, where you've sort of rerouted yourself, a little inconvenient, just to cross paths with somebody. You've done, who's done that? 
Come on. Look at that. So, so what I do is I start going to this classroom that I know she's coming out of. Now, I don't have class in that classroom, but I would leave my class and book it for her room to stand in line with my books like I was going into this class for class just to pass her in the doorway. And we'd pass in the doorway and I'd go into the classroom and then I'd wait about 15 seconds and then I'd leave the classroom and book down the hallway just to get so I wouldn't be late to my own class. But this was my plan. This was, it was one that was going to take some time. She had beautiful blonde hair. She had kind of these chiseled cheekbones, which is rare for a seventh grader, you know? We're mostly just roundish at that age. But she just had this, to me, to me, this exotic-shaped head (laughs) that I just thought was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And so, the days go by, I'm making eye contact with her, and finally I decide I'm breaking the silence. We've made eye contact for like four days now. It's time to break the ice. And so she passes me, and here are the first words I ever spoke. She's passing me. Your head's shaped like a lemon. As I stand before you, your head's shaped like a lemon with this dreamy, here's the thing, I was in over my head, big time. I knew what I wanted. I wanted to win her heart. I wanted her to know that to me she was beautiful. But what did I do? I just got lost in the details of that and then spoke them in a way that just made her roll her eyes at me and walk. I remember she was wearing camouflage pants and a pink shirt. That's how much I remember that day. Your head's shaped like a lemon. Here's the truth. I don't know that I've figured out how to express love a whole lot better than when I was that seventh grade boy saying your head's shaped like a lemon. I have a little bit more tact. I have a little bit more sophistication. But... I'm still not great at it. I still don't say goodbye in the ways that I want to convey grief or loss or hope or purpose. I still struggle to apply what I know while maintaining a teachable and a humble heart in situations where I'm called to lead. I'm still very awkward in a lot of the ways that I connect with people, in a lot of ways that I relate I'm still very much in over my head with most things in life. And even the plans I come up with today, which may be better polished, they're not much better than what I had working for me in seventh grade a lot of the time. We're all in over our heads. There's not a lot we can control. When you start digging down deeper, there's really nothing that we can control And yet, it seems like the older that we get, the higher the stakes are. That things are counting in a way that they didn't before. I mean, think beyond just 
the stuff that we think about when we think about the stakes in life. Think beyond marriage, beyond relationships, beyond kids, beyond professional success, beyond resumes and biographical data. Think about your life and think about a life that actually, that, that has purpose and that has meaning and that counts for something. Is that a kind of life that you want? Where you want to be able to say when you're old and gray that my life, my life was defined with, with purpose and with direction, and with focus, and that it meant something. If I believe that God has a call in my life, this question that can weigh us down is, how in the world am I supposed to pull that off? How am I supposed to pull that off? When all I've got in my hip pocket is your head is shaped like a lemon. You know? How are we supposed to do that? What are the questions that you're right asking right now that are along that line. How am I supposed to pull off? How am I supposed to accomplish what God has for me? This appears to be a question that is on Joshua's mind. And we see that because of the way that he interacts with the man when he meets them. Here's the deal. Israel has crossed the Jordan River. Did you know we've taken longer as a church to talk about Israel crossing the Jordan and going in to take Jericho than it took them? I mean, we've taken, what, what six, eight weeks now, and it's taken them, it took them a lot less time to get to where we are. We've been unfolding this slowly, but they have this obstacle that lies before them, and that is that they have to take Jericho. If they're going to be successful in their conquest, in the mission that lies before them to take the promised land, the first thing that they have to do is they have to take Jericho. They have to be successful here. There's no two ways about that. And Israel had fought a lot of battles before. They'd fought some anyway, not a lot, but they had never laid siege to a city before. They'd never taken a city, and so this was new. And so when we come to this text, we find their leader... Joshua, apparently alone, and what is he doing? He's outside of Jericho, and as best as we can surmise, he's on a scouting mission. He's thinking. He's doing that part of leadership where you sit in a room alone and you look at the ceiling and you think, and that's what he's doing. He's looking at Jericho. He's looking at the landscape And he's thinking about the battle. He's thinking about what lies before him. He's thinking about how in the world they're going to do this. He's surveying the land, planning his next move. Can you relate to this? This uncharted territory that lies before him with no real clear sense of what strategy to employ to do it. Where are you right now coming up with strategies and what are those strategies? And let me ask you a different question. What kind of person do you become when you're strategizing? And maybe even a harder question is, is there anyone in your life that could answer that question for you with any kind of clarity and authority where it would be even permissible? I know when I get wrapped around something and I'm focused That can be really hard to reach. Joshua, the text says, he lifts his eyes and he sees this man standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. I think it's interesting that he tells us that Joshua lifted his eyes because what does that imply? It implies that Joshua was looking down. I don't know if he was looking down, but it's an interesting image, isn't it? And we can all relate to this. 
being wrapped up in thought, consumed, focused, distracted, not seeing the things that are going on around us because we're in this place where we're just trying to figure out how to do what we need to do. He looks up and he sees this man of war standing in front of him. And we get this picture into where Joshua is mentally. Because Joshua asks a question, the first question, it's very revealing. He says, are you one of my soldiers or are you one of the Canaanite soldiers? These are the two categories that his mind allows in this moment. That you are either on my side or you are against me. Because Joshua's whole world is this problem. That he has those who fight for him and those who fight against him. And there are no other categories when he sees this man. These are the only two options that are in front of him. And it's a burden. The question reveals something I think that's beautiful. And what it reveals is that Joshua is not some super spiritual giant who has it all figured out. He's like us. He's like us. He knows that God has led them to this place. He knows that God wants them to go in and take the land. He doesn't really have much of an idea at all how that's going to happen, and yet he feels the burden, and he's acting on the burden of figuring out how to do what God has called him to do. The idea that maybe the Lord might be sending an army of his own, it's not on Joshua's radar right now. It's all on him. He's in over his head. It's all on him. And he doesn't recognize that the man before him is perhaps of a third category. Who is this person anyway? Who is this commander of the Lord's army? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want to tell you, give you two solid biblical reasons why this can't be anyone other than Christ, a pre-incarnate appearance of the second person of the Blessed Trinity. One, he is the commander of the Lord's army. And when Jesus walked the earth, he said, I have come to do the will of my Father. Nobody commands Jesus. Nobody told Jesus what to do except the Father himself. That's one. But the second is in the text, it's very plain for us to see, is that Joshua bows down and he begins to worship the man standing before him. And if this were just an angel, he would do what the angels do throughout Scripture when they appear and people bow down to worship. And what is that? The angels say, hold on, don't worship me because I'm not God. I'm just a messenger. I want you to stand because you you shouldn't worship me. We read about this in Revelation 19.10 that the people bow down and worship, that John wants to bow down and worship when he sees the angel of the Lord and he says, stop, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. I don't want your worship, don't worship me. But what happens here? Joshua sees the man, he bows down and he worships and what does the man say? He says, take it a step further, Joshua. Take your shoes off because the place where you're standing is holy ground. When's the other time that's happened? When Moses 
was in the presence of God himself in the burning bush. Joshua is encountering the Lord himself in this moment. It's amazing. Because he says, you know, Joshua says, are you on my team or are you on the other team? And the, and, and the Lord says, no. That's the, <laughs> no. He says, I'm the commander of the Lord's army and I have come. And with that, he lets Joshua know, this is not a man that Joshua will command. But this is a man who will lead Joshua. This third option that he will lead Joshua. It's a huge revelation. For us, this moment raises the question, does God ever call you to things he's not in? Does God ever call you to things he's not in? Does he ever call you to things that he is not in fact the designer of? If Christ is with us in what God has called us to do, which he says he is, I am with you to the end of the age what difference does it make if you're in over your head? What difference does it make if God is in this? What difference does it make if you're not capable of much more than your head shaped like a lemon? Are we ever going into battle alone? Is, is, are we ever the one leading the fight? And what if, what if we aren't? the ones leading the fight? What if it doesn't rest on us? There's grace in this because God knows that Joshua is of this mindset and he doesn't appear and shame him for it, which is what we often feel when God reveals something of our hearts that we feel ashamed and we feel humiliated, but that's not what God does. He knows this is where he is. He knows that he won't be recognized. But his mission isn't to shame Joshua for this, it's to lead Joshua into what God has for him. And it's a beautiful picture of the patience of God toward his people who are growing. And so he reveals himself. And when he does, he reveals an error in Joshua's understanding of God. So I want us to look at how Joshua changes. I wish that I could preach like that, this beautiful way that Russ shares with his heart, and, but unfortunately that's just not who I am, oh boy, I'm sorry, so this is probably not going to come across nearly as artistic, man, I feel weird about that, but um, I'll deal with my insecurity. It's hard to hear that because um, when he, when Russ asked the question, what if it's not about us? It's difficult for me to, um, to maybe admit that that's true uh, because uh, me and you, um, are, uh, we're heavy drinkers of the narcissistic cup all day long, 24-7. And um, most of us, in fact, 99% of us need to go to AA or Narcissist Anonymous, to be able to talk about that and deal with that. The interesting thing that I want to share with you today is I think that the two questions are absolutely beautiful as it relates to kind of who we are and what we struggle with. But when you look at the question to end this whole kind of scripture, when you look at the question in the, in the ESV, the, the second question that Joshua asks 
God is, what does the Lord say to his servant? What does the Lord say to his servant? Many times the greatest indicator, I think, of our maturity are the questions that we ask. What kind of questions in the midst of your struggle, like Joshua was facing an immense struggle, a tremendous obstacle in front of him, Many times the greatest indicator of our maturity are the questions that we ask in the midst of the struggle. And in the midst of great struggle and faced with this tremendous task and responsibility that, are, that is before him, he does something that we all do, and I want us to make sure that we're comfortable with this. He asks questions. But there is something here that I don't want you to miss, my friend. He does something that I think is missing for most of our lives. In the midst of his great struggle, his question changes. He moves from, are you for me or are you for my adversaries, which is what I would term as a very fear-based question, to what does the Lord say to his servant, a very faith-based question. And I want to make sure that I underline for many of you, for all of you here, that God has made us emotional creatures. It's okay that we struggle. And many of you in this room, probably the majority of us in this room, are struggling. And it's okay for us to be fearful. It's even okay many times, even though the Lord says, don't worry and be anxious about anything. We struggle and we worry. We're human beings. So I want to make sure to let you know that, but I want to also make sure that I underline something for you today. That's not the whole story. And many of us, I think, want that to be the whole story, our fear and our worry in the midst of our struggle. We want that. But God would say, no, 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 that's not the whole story. Now listen further. This is massive when we talk about this question that he asks. What does the Lord say to his servant? This unbelievable trance, this kind of this transformation that takes place with him as a result of this encounter with the Lord. Because for most of us, our questions in the midst of struggle, they don't have that kind of quality to them. Let me say that again. For most of us in the midst of struggle, they don't have that kind of quality to them. Follow this imagery, if you will. I thought about this a little bit, and I thought, you know, we're, we're really, in many ways, we're like one-trick ponies. Or you could look at us, and you could, if you were to think about the imagery, you could call us one-hit wonders. And our pony that we ride is called worry, and the hit that is entitled that we kind of sing is called fear. It's the first question that he deals with. And when struggle comes, we ride that one pony and we sing that same song over and over again like Joshua could have done. Are you for us or against us? God, are you good or are you not good? God, why is this going on? I'm so fearful about what could happen with me and my husband or me and my friends or me and my future or whatever the case may be. Think about it. Think about it now. We love to ride that pony. John is an older single here and lives in Nashville. 
He's just using his, that's not his actual name. And like the majority of single people in Nashville, he has a lot of time to think about his life and to think about his struggles. A lot of time. And as he unfolds his life and his struggle to me, I can see him, I can literally see him sitting there on a merry-go-round riding the same horse. He can't imagine actually getting off it. And John is very indicative of the majority of us in our lives when we face struggle, when we face confusion, when we face mystery. We want to kind of get on that horse and ride it around, and our lives become that. And for many of you here, when I sit down with you, when I talk with you about that, it's almost as if the, the most defining thing about your life is your struggle. And I want you to know that that's not the most defining thing about your life. The most defining thing about your life is the cross and the ramifications thereof. Because the cross, son and daughter, has allowed you to get off that merry-go-round and ask a very different question. And that question is, what does the Lord say to his servant? And that's what's going on here is that Joshua has a a healthy process. He gets off that merry-go-round and he asks the most important question that we must start asking if we are to grow as maturing followers of Christ. Did you get what I just said? We've got to start asking this question in our lives. What does the Lord say to his servant? This is my question that I have to ask tomorrow morning, that you have to ask tomorrow morning in the midst of your struggle and and fill in the blank, what does the Lord say to his servant? Could God's answer be any different than the answer that you would have? More than likely, it will be true 100% of the time. Think about it. Think about it for a minute. Let me just cause you to stop for a minute and to not think about anything that's going to happen beyond the rest of this day and to think about what it would actually look like for us if we were to respond to the Lord in this way, if we were to actually in the midst of our struggle, in, fill in the blank, if we were to say, Lord, what do you say to me? Because what's going on there is I have an image of God at that point that says, My father has something to say to me, and what he has to say to me is important to me, and I want to lean in, and I want to listen to his voice, and I want to hear it, even though what I hear could very possibly be very painful for me to obey. We're going to unfold next week the plan that God had for Joshua to take Jericho. It's crazy. There's no missiles involved. But guess what? We'll kind of close this off. Joshua gets it, guys. And I'm not trying to hold him up as the champion of the story. He's just like us, but guess what? He also gets it. Let me tell you what he gets. He understands that this is not his deal. This is not his life. This is not his fight. 
He understands that God isn't present to fight our battles, to help our causes, or jump to our rescue when we get in trouble as though he were some kind of genie in a bottle God. And many of us believe that, don't we? I want my genie in a bottle God, and I can open up that whenever I have a problem with me. And God is basically coming to us and saying, no, 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 I, I am the commander of the Lord's army. I am ruler over life and over yours and over everything. I've got a battle that I want you to fight. The battle is his, and our role in that is that of soldier and of servant. Russ said it beautifully a minute ago when he said, it's not on us. No, it's not. Young man, you're struggling with your wife. It's, it's hurtful. It's, it, it, you don't know how to navigate through it. And you're sitting there and you're, you're, you're going to Google to find answers about how to communicate with your wife. I've t- talked to you about this before. That's, it's, it's the, the deal isn't, what does Google say to a servant? Or you're sitting there and you're feeling all kinds of different things. You're going, well, I, I just need, this is what I need to do. I need to fix it. And I need to re- read this book and read that book. And how am I going to fix it? And I need to talk to all my friends about it. And the more, have you ever met people like that? There's certain of you that the way you deal with struggle, it's the more people you talk about, the better off you feel. Kind of about your struggle, right? No, no, no. The idea here is, Lord, what are you saying to me? And then you take it to the next, the next point, and you begin to get on your knees, and you begin to take your sandals off, and you begin to say, what do you want to say to me? And you do that now in modern-day world by actually entering into the eternal word of the living God, by actually praying to the Lord and opening up your hands and and being humble enough to say, Lord, what do you want me to say? And I'm willing to listen to it, even if it's very different than the plan that I have for my life and for my immediate future with my wife or my girlfriend or my husband or my friends or my future, whatever it is, fill in the blank. We are here to serve him, my friends, to do his will, to follow him, to depend on him completely. It's very interesting that he says, what does the Lord say to his servant? And the Lord says, take off your sandals. What he's saying is take off your sandals and worship me. Worship me. Stop worshiping yourself, Joel. Right? Joshua understood that he is a servant to the divine commander. Do we? And the divine commander has divine demands. I'll close by, telling, by giving you a quote from Lewis. I'll end it by, by giving you this quote. It's unbelievable. Listen to this. The divine demands, which sound to our natural ears most like those of a despot, which is an oppressive leader or oppressive ruler, and least like those of a lover. In fact, marshal us where we should want to go 
if we knew what we wanted. And God knows ultimately who we are, and he also knows that ultimately what we want is to be in union with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that we can even be a people that can ask questions of you and that um, we can process and hurt about things. And uh, I think that in many ways, uh, me and my friends here today uh, are hurting. And uh, pray that you would forgive us um, for so many different um, strategies and tactics and different things that we come up with. We, we, we commit the sin, it seems like, every day that we think it depends on us and, and our smarts or our intellect or our money or whatever. And so bring us back to the truth, divine ruler and sovereign king. Stand before us in our lives and send us to our knees. We worship you today, Father. We thank you in your name. Amen. We're going to take just a couple minutes before we dismiss for a time of prayer and response. And uh, I just want to guide us through a season of prayer. So we're going to pray together, and I'm going to say some things and just uh, uh, maybe guide us together as a group to, for, for some things to think about. One of the things that Joel said was that uh, the most defining thing about you is not your struggle. The most defining thing about you is the cross. And there's something amazing in this. And it's that Joshua, in the story that we read, these three verses, he gets that. He hears it. And that's as much a statement about God as it is about Joshua. That God wants to be known, that he engages him here. So as we pray, I want to ask you this question. You're in Joshua's seat. Pray with me. Where are you strategizing the most right now? in your life to pull off something that you believe God needs you or is calling you to do. Just think about that for a minute or two. And as you're thinking about that, Which question is dominating your approach? The question of how am I going to pull off this? Or the question of what does the Lord have to say to his servant? I want to tell you three things that Jesus said and then ask if these are true, what difference does it make to the places, to the burdens and the struggles that you're in? Number one, apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Number two, I will never leave you or forsake you. And number three, I am with you always to the end of the age. Apart from me, you can do nothing, and I will never leave you or forsake you, and I am always with you to the end of the age. If these are true from the mouth of our Lord, what difference does that make to the way that we struggle? Lord, when your people come before you with, with burdens and cares, we never surprise you with them. Um, and we never see them as clearly as you do either. Uh, Lord, you know that for each heart in this room, uh, there are heavy burdens that we carry. Uh, Lord, we know that, uh, that there are things going on in our lives that uh, we, we haven't spoken, we won't speak, many of us, ever, but we will carry. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would interrupt us in our strategizing and scheming if our strategizing and scheming is being done apart from dependence upon you and that you would make yourself known to us. Lord, we thank you for the story in Scripture where we see Joshua understand that you are with him and that you are leading him. Lord, we thank you that that possibility exists for us and it's more than a possibility, but it's your desire for us that we would know that, that we would be still and know that you are God. And so Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that you would make us people who are honest in the way that we struggle uh, and uh, that you would surround us with people who would walk through those. Uh, but Lord, most of all, I ask that you would make us to be people who look to you in the middle of our struggles, trusting that you are the one uh, who leads us and calls us, and apart from you, we can do nothing. Thank you for your promise that you will never leave us or forsake us, and that you're with us to the end of the age. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen.